series right now called The Secret to Bliss, and we've been going through the book of Philippians, studying really what Paul writes about as this secret to true joy and true peace um, that surpasses all circumstances. So it doesn't matter what's going on in our life. Um, we can have divine peace and joy that the Holy Spirit gives to us in every circumstance, whether it's um, hard times, good times, tragedies, or celebration. We can always be filled with the true joy and peace that God gives to us through His Holy Spirit. And so we're continuing this week in chapter 3. So let's go ahead and go straight to that. We're going to read the entirety of these 11 verses um, and just so we can just see this whole train of thought that Paul has here in this text, okay? So if you would like to read with me, uh, you can read along in the app, in the sermon notes, um, in your own Bible app, or there. Okay, verse 1, Paul says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and the glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, being, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this scripture that you gave to us. Lord, I thank you for your word that speaks to our hearts that shows us um, our sin and shows us your love, Lord. And as we look at this text, I pray that you would enlighten our hearts and minds to the truth that's here and that we would receive it, Lord, that we would learn to take all things and consider them as loss, as rubbish in comparison to knowing you. Jesus, I pray that you would bless this time with your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would bless each individual for being here this morning and that we would just truly enjoy this time and be filled with the joy that your word brings. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, uh, who wants to be picked on a little bit? (laughs) Anybody? All right. What is your dream car? Yeah, your dream car. A truck? A Chevy truck. Okay. And what car do you currently have? I'm assuming it's not your dream car. That's your dream car, right? Okay. So, if you could take your current car and go trade it in for your dream car, would you do it? There's no cost. There's no added debt. Nothing like that. You could just go trade it in and get your dream car. Would you do it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. What's the least valuable thing that you own in your house? The least valuable thing in your house? Toilet paper. (laughs) That's fair. Uh, That'll play in well 
uh, later in this message, actually. So thank you for saying that one. I didn't, I didn't pay him to say that. That was, that was perfect. So toilet paper. Perfect. If you could walk in with a roll of toilet paper to the dealership where your car, dream car was being sold, and you could trade it in, no cost to you other than the toilet paper, would you do it? Right? Because that thing is, is, is your dream car. It's the thing that you want. And giving something else up, by comparison to the dream car, you're not going to miss the old car. You're certainly not going to miss the toilet paper. Unless you're camping, you forgot to bring some. Uh, <laughs> but So there's this idea here that Paul portrays in this text that there are things that he counts as loss. And they're actually pretty substantial things when we get into their culture and what is being talked about here in this text. They're substantial things. They would be considered important things. And Paul says, no, 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 no. No, in, in comparison to knowing Jesus, in comparison to having Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior, I count all of these things as loss. I'm not going to miss them. I'm not going to miss them at all. I would gladly trade them all in just to know Jesus. And so today, I want you to be thinking about, and we have paper and pen on all the tables, what are the things that maybe you're putting a little too much hope in, a little too much pride in? It could be... Um, Really anything, anything that for you maybe is a, would be a little too hard to give up. It could be a sin. It could just be something. Who, it's a neutral thing. It's a good thing that maybe is becoming a God thing to you. And through this sermon, just be thinking about them. You don't have to write them down immediately, but just write down some of the ones that maybe you need to be counting as loss that you're not counting as loss. Make sense? So let's go ahead and dive into this scripture. Go ahead and take a look at it verse by verse and really understand the context and the culture that Paul's in and what he's writing about here. I mean, you may have seen some weird words like circumcision. That's always um, a pastor's favorite thing to preach about. But we're going to have to go into all that. So, chapter 3, verse 1, he said, Finally, my brothers, finally is actually not a very good translation for the word there. It's in saying, in continuing to the rest. Because obviously there's a whole, this is the beginning of, this is really the middle of the book, Right? So he's not saying this is my last thought. He's saying in continuance to the rest, uh, he says, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Again, he's saying rejoice. We've seen this in the last two chapters over and over again. Rejoice in the Lord. He keeps charging them to keep rejoicing, to continually rejoice. And it's his reminder throughout the book. He says, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. He says, to write the same things to you is of no trouble to me and is safe for you. What is he talking about here? He's talking about telling them to rejoice. He's saying, for me to say to you to rejoice is no trouble to me. He says, I'm in you know, chains, I'm in house arrest, I'm maybe going to die, I don't know. But for me to say rejoice is no problem, because I know that we have the surpassing worth of Jesus. That's what he's going to get to here. But he's saying, it's no problem to say this. I know the situation might be bad right now. It's no trouble to me to say to rejoice. But then he adds to that. He says, and it is safe for you. Uh, the word there can also be translated as a safeguard to you. Some really cool theology there, just in that verse. When we choose to rejoice, what we're doing with our, our, our life is we're, we're actually setting up a shield. We're saying, before I even know what tomorrow is going to be like, before I know what next year will bring, I'm going to choose right now to rejoice. And as you start rejoicing in the Lord, and you're excited about the Lord, and you're excited in your relationship, you are rejoicing, I am rejoicing, what you're actually doing is you are setting up a safeguard. You are setting up a shield around your life. And no matter what comes at you, 
You are going to be able to block it because you have the joy of the Lord already. So whatever hard circumstances hit you, you've got this safeguard of joy, of rejoicing that you've already set up. So he's saying, me telling you to rejoice is actually um, good for you. It's safe for you. It helps you set up a safeguard. Verse 2, then he says this, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. So he is addressing probably the leaders of the um, Judaizers. They, the Judaizers probably in majority were not disbelievers but misbelievers. Right? They're probably believers. They, they believed the gospel, but they misbelieved in some doctrines. They, they sometimes um, were a little too serious about the law, and they were bringing things from the law and saying that these were essential for salvation. Jesus and the gospel is good, but you know what? You need to add some of this. Like, you need to still be circumcised, even if you're a Gentile. Hey, you need to still do this or that. And they're, so they're adding to it. And so I want to say that all of the Judaizers were disbelievers, but they were misbelievers. But here Paul is really addressing the leaders here, who he would probably call wolves or, or dogs in this situation, because they're attacking. They're causing harm to the church with their doctrines. And so Paul says here, they're, they're dogs, they're evildoers, and look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Verse 3, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and, the, and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. He kind of flips things on them here, right? Because he's saying we are the circumcision as Christians, we're the true circumcision. Whether or not you're physically circumcised, we as the body of Christ are the true circumcision. And they were, you know, saying that even the Gentiles needed to get circumcised, which it's one thing if you're a baby and you get circumcised. It's a whole other thing when you're an adult man and have to get circumcised. Let me tell you a funny story. Uh, for those of you who, <laughs> for those of you who don't know, um, my parents were missionaries all over the world. Not all of the world, that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but different parts of the world, okay? And uh, one of the places that we spent the most time was in Kenya. And uh, I was homeschooled here and there, uh, but at one point I was just, I was becoming a little bit of a brat. And when you're the only white guy in a village, or the only white kid, and me and my brother are the only white kids in the village, you, and you get kind of like sick of people like pointing at you and saying, Mzungu, Mzungu, Mzungu. And so I was starting to have this bad attitude towards the people um, that, we were supposed, that my parents were ministering to. <laughs> and so my parents were like, you know what? Uh, no more homeschool. You're going to go to school in a mud hut with all the other kids, which... Uh, was probably one of the best decisions they ever did in parenting because it got me immersed in the culture and I started making friends. And you know what? After the first week, they didn't call me Mzungu anymore. They learned my name. And I wasn't just white boy. I was Stephen, their friend, and it was great, okay? And we were, I was 12 years old at that time, maybe 11 years old. I think I was 11 years old. And my best friend there, his name was Amos. And he was turning 12, and they get circumcised at 12. <laughs> and so I remember it was like Friday, we're in school. He's like, yeah, like, I'm really scared. <laughs> and like, this is going to be terrible. And uh, Monday came around and he was in pain. <laughs> told me it was horrible. <laughs> so uh, you can imagine all these grown men and the Judaizers are saying to them, you need to be circumcised. And they're like, what are you talking about, you weird Jewish people? <laughs> I like the gospel. I don't know if I like this part. 
Uh, and Paul is saying that this is not what the gospel says. There is nothing else that you, is needed for salvation other than acceptance of the gospel. Other than to receive the grace that God gives freely. We're not going to add to that. And so he plays on words here. He's, he's saying that they're mutilators of the flesh. Which is actually something that the law forbid. Um, in the pagan cultures, they would cut themselves and lash themselves and tear their skin and stuff in worship of their pagan gods. And that was forbidden in the law, to be mutilators of the flesh. And he's saying when you're going around trying to get all these Gentiles to, do, to circumcise themselves, when that's not required by the gospel, it's like you're mutilators of the flesh. He's playing on the words there, and he's, he, they would have probably taken insult to what he was saying there. But he says, for we are the true circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. And we put no confidence in the flesh. So he's, he's leveling it out here. He's saying it's in the spirit that we worship him and, and, and glory in him. And then verse four, he says, OK, but if you want to talk about the flesh, let's talk about the flesh. He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more, right? He's like, you want to go to toe-to-toe on who's better in the law? I'll take you down. You want to go toe-to-toe on who's got more bragging rights in the flesh? I'll take you down. Let's go, he says, right? And in verse 5 and 6, he just lays out why he could take them on in the law. He says, verse 5, circumcised on the eighth day. That was the correct day to be circumcised as a child, as a, as a baby boy, you'd be circumcised on the correct day. So he was saying, I was circumcised on the right day. So this isn't like I was a convert to Judaism. I was born into this. So that's a bragging right. He says, of the people of Israel, a, of the tribe of Benjamin. If you were um, Jewish in that day, the two tribes that kind of had the most bragging rights were those of Judah and Benjamin. Because during the Civil War, after Solomon, the ten tribes of the north, split into their own nation, and the two tribes in the south, Benjamin and Judah, became their own nation. And they remained in the city of David, and they um, really worshipped God a lot more than the northern tribe. The northern tribe, for the majority of the time since the Civil War there, really just worshipped pagan gods. They were taken over by Babylon first. And so really, if you were of the tribe of Judah or Benjamin, you automatically had certain bragging rights that, hey, my heritage stuck with this city of David and in, in in really were the true ones who, who followed and not those who so quickly went to, um, you know, do evil things and, and worship other gods. So he's saying, I'm a, not only am I, you know, a Jew and circumcised on the right day, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin, bragging rights. He says a Hebrew of Hebrews. That most likely means that he's saying both of my parents were, were Jewish and from the tribe of Benjamin. And so there was no question, like if his, uh, maybe if his mom had slept around or something, he would still at least be half Jew. He's saying here, there's a, I'm 100% guaranteed to be in this tribe. There's no mistake here. Uh, I'm, both of my parents were Jewish. And then he says, as to the law... Of Pharisee. You had the Pharisees and you had the Sadducees. The Pharisees believed the whole Old Testament was literal. They believed that heaven and hell were real. They believed in angels and demons. They believed in a spiritual realm. Uh, whereas the Sadducees basically only viewed it as a cultural thing. They didn't believe there was afterlife. They didn't believe in angels and demons. They didn't really take it literally. And so 
Paul is saying, as to the law, I'm a, I was a Pharisee. I was a Pharisee. I took it all literally. I had it all memorized. I believed all of it. As to zeal, he's like, I was persecuting the church. Could you get much more zealous than that? You, you can't. I was persecuting the church. And as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Now, Paul is not saying that he is perfect, but he's saying you wouldn't be able to blame. You, good luck finding anything on me. Right, And he addresses later on how he's the center of all sinners. So he's not saying that he is without sin here. He's saying, good luck trying to find something on me. Because I live the very um, religious life. Good luck. right? I'm, oh, you would not be able to find anything on me and blame me of anything. Accuse me of anything. So he really kind of goes toe-to-toe with these dogs, these uh, false teachers, and says, you don't have anything on me. When it comes to the flesh, I have more rights to brag than you. But, what does he say next? He says, verse 7, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Right? We're talking about heritage, um, cultural status. We're talking about things that are extremely important to this, these people and in their culture. And he's saying these very important things, these things that I could take a lot of bragging rights and, and, and a lot of pride in. He's like, I count them as loss for the sake of Christ. So all the things I could brag about in my past, I count as loss. But then he goes a step further. Indeed, I count Everything is loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. So he says, everything I could brag about in my past, loss. And then he goes on. Everything I currently have or will have, everything I count as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. How awesome is that? Everything I count as loss. And he says, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things. For him, all things are lost. All things are lost. And then he takes it a step further, right? Loss, just a term for, hey, whatever it is, I'd gladly lose it. I'd gladly cast it aside. I'd gladly give it up or trade it in to know Jesus. Then he takes it a step further, and he says, all things, and and count them as rubbish. Rubbish is the nicest English word you could translate that as, okay? (laughs) This is the Greek's most vulgar word for feces, (laughs) okay? So, don't go around calling me a cussing pastor, but he is in English saying, I count all things as shit. Okay, that's, it is the most vulgar Greek term. It's a slang term for fecal matter. So he's saying, I count all things porta potty water. <laughs> all right, King James translates it as like a dung, right? Which, it's a good word too. Uh, I don't know what the message <laughs> translates it as. I'd like to know, actually. Um, so this isn't saying, you know, Poop, this is as vulgar as you can get for, the, for fecal matter. And the funny thing about him saying fecal matter is he's saying, I'm counting all these things as loss, and feces is something you lose and don't miss. 
right? How many of you have ever lamented the loss of your number two? (sighs) You don't. But that's the picture he's portraying here. I count him as loss so much so it's something that none of us would be sad about losing. I'm not sad about losing it at all. Okay, we'll move on. (laughs) I told Melissa, I was like, I'm going to use the S word in the message. And she was like, well, don't say it more than once. (laughs) (laughs) And she's like, and don't stay on that topic too long. (laughs) So I'm listening to her. And we're moving on to verse 10. (laughs) But he counts them all as loss. He counts them all as rubbish, crap, uh, that I may know him. And the power of his resurrection. And may share in his sufferings. Did I skip a verse? I did. Um, Sorry. Let's go back here. So we went from verse 8. We're going to verse 9. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. But that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul's, uh, what he's saying here is that I don't want anything, any, any, anything that I could brag about to be found in me when I stand before him. I truly want all of my righteousness to be in him. And I have no, nothing that I'm confident about. I don't walk up to the throne of God and say, here's the reasons why I was a good person. Here's the reasons why you should open the gate to me. He's like, I don't want to approach him with anything. that I only want to approach really Christ with the righteousness that he gives me. That he, because of the cross, is able to put on my behalf and say, you are clean, not because of who you are or what you've done, but because of what I have done and because of who I am. He's saying, I don't want to work in the law and try to prove myself to God anymore. I simply want to receive from Christ the righteousness that he freely gives, the grace that he freely gives. And maybe you're not uh, walking around in your life trying to follow the Old Testament law to prove yourself to God. But in Christianity, we, ha- we certainly have things that we do to try to prove ourselves to God, don't we? Aren't there things that you go, hey, I'm going to do this for God so that God will be happy with me. The thing is, it's already complete in Christ. And it's something that we freely give. And it doesn't matter if you're gooder than your next door neighbor. You're better at following certain religious persons than the person sitting across you on your table. It doesn't matter. You're all sinners and we all fall short of the glory of God. None are righteous. Not one. None follow the law. Not one. But through Christ, because of Christ, what he has done, he imparts his righteousness to us. Amen? So Paul's saying, I don't want any of that. I don't want to brag in any of my fleshly uh, wins. None of the things that I could boast about and brag about. I don't want to boast about anything but Jesus and what he's done for me. Oh, that we would take that, that mentality and say, nothing in my life is, is worth bragging about. None of my accomplishments, none of my successes, none of my good works are worth bragging about. The only thing I, I want to boast about is Jesus and the work he's done. And give him all credit, glory, and honor for the work he's done in my life. And every way I reflect his glory, not my own. In Romans 
chapter 1, verse 16, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. We receive the righteousness, the grace of God through faith. That's all you do is you just believe that he has it there for you. And he imparts it to you. He gives it to you. And I cannot think of anything better in the world than that. Because if you're like me, maybe you've tried being good. Maybe you try to prove yourself sometimes. And don't you still fall short? Right? You can have a good season, but then eventually something goes off somewhere in your life, doesn't it? And that's why we're continually reminded that it is through the grace and just through faith that we receive it and he imparts it to us. What are the things that you would gladly trade in? What are the things that maybe you would have a hard time trading in, right? What are the things that you, you maybe you're struggling to say, I'll give this up in order to get him, in order to be closer to him, in order to just simply say he's better than all of it. What are the things that maybe in our hearts we're not counting as lost that we should be? And here's the thing. If there's anything in our life that we are putting too much confidence in, taking too much pride in, enjoying a little too much to give it up for Christ, the reason that that is is that we are not truly seeing just how good he is. Right? Paul calls it the surpassing worth of all things, everything. There's nothing in this life that Jesus um, is worth less than. He's worth more than everything. So it could be your favorite things. It could be things that give you the most social status. It could be your heritage, your job, your successes, the plaques on your wall, the trophies in your trophy closet, whatever it is. There's nothing that is, is as good as Jesus. Jesus is worth more. And when we struggle to give something up or to count it as lost, it is because we are not seeing how good he truly is. Jesus is awesome. He is good. And it's so easy to lose sight of it because of the sin of this world, because of the distractions, because of our own sinful hearts that so easily go astray. But he is good. He is holy. He is righteous. And more than that, he loves you enough to give his own life up for you, to impart his own righteousness to you. When we don't see how good he is, it's often because we also don't see how bad we are. We spend a lot of time saying, well, I'm better than him, and I'm better than her, and at least I'm not like that guy, and he cusses more than me, and she drinks more than me, and we just start pointing around and saying, well, well, I, I know I don't do that, so I must be doing pretty good, right? No. That's self-righteousness. I don't want to approach God with any self-righteousness. I don't want to approach him boasting in anything in my flesh. So we must count all things as lost, seeing just how good he is and just how unworthy we are. And when we have that mindset, it becomes a whole lot easier to see everything as lost, to see everything as rubbish. Today we're going to be partaking of the Lord's Supper, which I'm excited about. 
worship team, you guys can come up. Um, Josh is bringing up a trash can, okay? We're going to go with the rubbish. He could have brought up a toilet. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, that would have been gross. Uh, he's bringing up a trash can, and the things that you're writing on your list, I would encourage you to write them down. The things that maybe you aren't uh, counting as lost that you need to be, the things that you're not um, realizing are so worthless in comparison to the worth of knowing Jesus, we can write those things down. I encourage you to crumple it up and throw it in the trash as you um, come up to take a communion. In Luke twenty-two seventeen, it says, And he took a cup, and we had given thanks. He said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. See, Jesus gave the representation here. This, um, he gave us this symbol, the symbol of communion. For us to remember how good he is and what he did do for us. For us to take this as a physical and even a, something we can eat and drink. And remember, this symbolizes his surpassing worth. And everything else in my li- life is, is worth a whole lot less. And I would gladly give up any of it just to know Him. I would gladly trade it all in to know Him and to be closer to Him. The surpassing worth of Jesus. This is a reminder of it. If you will now pray with me and then during worship, feel free to take communion at your own timing. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your only begotten Son to die for us. Jesus, thank you for all that you did that you know, the sweating of blood in the garden, the pain and the stress, the, the weight of all of our sins were put upon you, Lord. You knew what you were going to do. You knew what you were going to feel. You knew the burden you were taking. The punishment for all of my sin, all of our sins, you took it on the cross, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would not take that lightly. That we would see it for how precious it is how worthy you are and everything in our lives that we need to to get rid of that we need to count as loss lord i pray that we would do so gladly in this moment that as we write those things down and we toss them in the trash we would view them as the trash they are in comparison to you jesus in comparison to the righteousness the grace that you give us So, Lord, I pray that you open our hearts during this time to worship you, to sacrifice for you, to give ourselves over um, to you. Not because we love you first, but because you loved us first. And we respond in love. We respond in faith. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.